This is uh, one of my favorite scripture passages. Um, it actually goes on into verse 15, which we'll take a look at the second half of this next week. But today's is uh, focused around remaining in Jesus, remaining with Jesus through his words, his teachings, his life, his ministry. And <clears throat> so as we take a look at this portion of scripture, let's start at the very beginning. Because at the beginning, Jesus tells us that he is the true vine. Now, this would have been a little shocking to hear, especially for the people of Israel, in particular for the religious leaders, because historically, Israel was the vine. Israel would be referred to as the vine in metaphors, in scripture, in song, in prayer. And so for Jesus to come and to say not only that Jesus is the vine, but that he is the true vine, it would have been an unusual word to hear. But Jesus has a deeper sense of who Israel is. You know, he, he speaks from God. Not only is he of God, but he is God. And so when Jesus speaks and says he is the true vine, there is a purpose to him saying that. You see, Israel, like Adam, had struggled to maintain a life of love, a life of love and joy and faithfulness. Kind of like our lives, perhaps. I mean, we work as Christians, right, to be faithful, to be loving and kind, to be joyful, to be faithful. But there's always maybe just one person that sets it off for us. And then we get really angry and frustrated, and we can even become belligerent. Jeremiah understood this because God told him about it. As a matter of fact, God told Jeremiah, I want you to say this word to Israel, the people who consider themselves the vine. This is what Jeremiah says in chapter 2 of Jeremiah, verse 28, I'm sorry, 21. This is Jeremiah speaking on behalf of God. But I was the one who planted you, choosing a vine of the purest stock, the very best, how did you grow into this degenerate and corrupt vine? How did you grow to be such a degenerate, corrupt vine? Well, Israel was following after anything and everything except for God. And because of that, God was displeased. Israel, the vine, was not remaining with God. And so when Jesus spoke and said to his disciples and to his followers that he was the true vine, he was saying that he was the true source of wisdom, the true source of light and life. These, these metaphors, these phrases that, Je that Jesus shared, they were jarring to the religious leaders. Many of the religious leaders would refute him and the way they would refute him is they'd say, well, he's the son of Joseph. 
Or they might say, he wasn't chosen by God. He is not the Messiah. Jesus is not fighting back. He's not attacking them. He is clearly teaching the words that we are called to remain with. I am the true vine. I am the true vine. That's what Jesus says to us. And then he says this, and my father is the gardener. My father is the vine dresser. You see, God, this vine dresser, has some work to do on the vineyard. Jesus is the vine, but you and I are the branches. His apostles were the branches, the disciples and the followers. We are all the branches. So we are a part of the vine. We are a part of what used to be considered Israel. And so God's work is busy because of us. The first thing that we learn is that the gardener, God, does not cause unbelief. God does not cause people to be faithless, to not believe. God does not cause any branch to wither or die. It's not like God is up there looking at your branch and saying, okay, I'm going to zap you today, boom, and then you're dead. I mean, that's, that doesn't happen. And, and that's not who God is. God does not cause unbelief. The branch unbelieves, does not have faith, all on its own. God does not separate a branch from the vine, from Jesus. God would never do that. God allows the branches to remain on the vine, even when they are not fruitful, they remain on the vine. The only time they are removed is when they are, when they are dead, when they have withered and died and they have no more life within them. You see, God doesn't want to separate branches from the vine because the vine is its source of life, its source of nutrients. The vine is where we receive these gifts of love and joy and faith. And so by following that image, what we can begin to see is that God doesn't remove any of those branches. He only removes the branches that are dead and that do not bear any fruit. Remembering now that God did not cause their death. You know, I remember my, my father, who was a gardener. I mean, his, his avocation was gardening. He grew up as a farm kid and left the farm. Um, and because of that, I think he loved the garden because it reminded him of being on the farm. And so he grew all kinds of flowers. He had a beautiful uh, couple of beds of roses in the front yard. In the backyard, we had peonies and poppies and blue sage and, I mean, tiger lilies and uh, all kinds of plants and, and flowers. And it was a beautiful yard. 
and he took a lot of time in caring for all of those flowers. And he would remove the dead branches. And he would prune back branches that were not being fruitful. And then by pruning them back, they would grow and they would become more fruitful. And um, I remember he gave Patty and me when we bought our house in Des Moines, he gave us some cannas bulbs. We'd built a fence in around the backyard for our dog. And, uh, and, and so the, the cannas bulbs grew. They were these tall plants that grew with a big flower on the top. And uh, so I remember planting those in the backyard along the fence. And, uh, and they, they grew and they were beautiful. It was a nice backdrop to the fence. And, uh, but then in the fall, you had to go out and dig up the bulbs before the freeze or else the frost would kill them. And uh, so I remember digging them up and realizing where I had planted one, now there were like three or four or five. They had multiplied. They had borne fruit in terms of new bulbs, new growth uh, for new plants. Maybe that's why Dad gave me the cannas. They were so much from, so many extras from his garden. Um, no matter how you get them, what is, what is taught to us in the power of gardening is how things grow and bear fruit and multiply. So God doesn't cause people to unbelieve, to not have faith. And God does, however, prune back the faithful. Every faithful branch, every growing uh, plant, um, every growing branch that does not bear fruit, God prunes back. I think it's easy for us to aim this at people sometimes. We'll talk about, well, that person sure needs to be pruned, or that person needs to clean up their life. And that's not what God is intending here. That's not what he means. What Jesus is saying is that he will prune fruitful, growing plant in order for it to bear even more fruit. And so... To be honest with you, I, there's been times in my life when I have not borne much fruit. And it's times like that when God prunes me. And, you know, the, the, the bad thing is pruning is never a wonderful experience. I mean, those of us who've been pruned, do we like it? Not necessarily, but I love the outcome because I, became, I become a different person because of that pruning. And um, so there are more, there's more fruit that God is able to produce through me, not me, but more fruit to produce through me because he has pruned me. And I think the other thing that I've learned is that you cannot prune yourself. I mean, that's been a temptation. Well, I'll just kind of take care of that little issue myself. Here's what Jeremiah said about pruning. This was right after he had made that reference to Israel being the vine, but being um, a degenerate and corrupt and wild vine. Then he says this, Though you wash yourself with lye and use much soap, the stain of your guilt is still before me, says the Lord. Even though you try to cleanse yourselves, to prune yourselves, the stain, the guilt is still there. 
Because there is only one who can truly prune us. There is only one who can truly cleanse us. That is the one who went to the cross for us. That is Jesus. I mean, we'd rather do a little cleaning, probably, than to allow God to do a comprehensive cleaning or pruning. But is that because we're afraid of what God might find as God goes about pruning us, cleansing us? We shouldn't be afraid. God already knows everything about you. God knows things about you that you don't know about yourself yet. And so there is no need to be afraid of God. God does the pruning out of love, out of kindness and goodness and mercy. Maybe this is the point where we might need some good news. And once again, thankfully, Jesus provides. In verse 3, after hearing about all the the dead branches and the you know withering branches getting them t- taken away burned and the pruning and the cleansing then we hear in verse 3 this wonderful verse Jesus tells his disciples his followers and all those who will follow Jesus even disciples today he says you you have already been cleansed and purified you have already been pruned by the message that i have given you That is good news, that you and I are cleansed, that we are pruned through the word of God. That is why weekly worship is so important for us as followers of Jesus. It allows us to remain close to God's word. And that is why we work at listening to God's word instead of always trying to speak that word especially to other people you see you and I we have been forgiven we have been redeemed and that is good you and I my friends have been set free we have been set free to be and that that was the frustration that God had had with Israel earlier in Jeremiah 2 he's reminding them about how he had rescued them from slavery, from bondage. How he had brought them, not out of slavery into more slavery, but he had brought them out of slavery into freedom, into a, not just an ordinary land, but to a promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And yet, the response was to follow other gods. And so what Jesus has done is that he has cleansed us. He has pruned us. And through that pruning, he gives us life. And even in the midst of our brokenness and of our sins and of our past, none of that makes any difference now. Because God has come through his son Jesus to redeem us, to claim us, and to make us a part of the vine. And that is why Jesus appeals to us as freed daughters and sons with these words, remain in me as I remain in you. Remain in me. I remain in you. This is not a conditional statement, and unfortunately in 
in our translation, in many translations, um, that's how it gets translated. If you remain in me, then I will remain in you. That's not what it says. In the Greek, it says, remain in me as I remain in you. You see, God already has promised to remain with you. God has already promised to be with you, to save you, to redeem you. And he calls you not to save him. He calls you just to abide with him, to remain in him, to remain in his word. Jesus remains with us, and he calls us to abide with him. In the story of the road to Emmaus, there's a powerful illustration of this. You see, Jesus remains with his disciples, and he does it because they have asked him to. In this story, um, let me read from Luke 24, uh, verse 28. By the time they were nearing Emmaus and the end of their journey, Jesus acted as if he were going on. But they begged him, stay the night with us. It is getting late. So he went home with them. And as they sat down to eat, he took the bread and he blessed it. Then he broke it and he gave it to them. Suddenly their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And at that moment, he disappeared. They said to each other, didn't our hearts burn within us as he talked with us on the road and explained the scriptures to us? And within the hour, they were on their way back to Jerusalem. There they found the 11 disciples and others who had gathered with them. You see, Jesus appears with us. Jesus reveals himself to us. And he remains with us, even when we don't recognize it. So how do we remain with Jesus. If Jesus remains with us, abides with us, how do we abide with Jesus? Well, I could tell you, th you know, this would be the normal thing, would be people to tell you, well, then, if you want to abide in Jesus, if you want to remain with Jesus, then you've got to remain in God's Word. Keep reading it. Keep listening to it. You've got to remain in prayer every day with Jesus. You've got to remain in weekly worship. Remain in that. And before long, what I have done is I've taught you how to prune yourself, how to cleanse yourself. But that's not remaining in Jesus. What we end up doing is kind of checking our list. Have I done this? Then I'm good. Then I've remained with Jesus. But we haven't even thought about Jesus. All we've thought about is doing our thing. It's kind of like you know, we used to give out perfect attendance wards in Sunday school. Or how we used to talk about how I, I do my devotions every morning and I've never missed a morning. Well, you might have perfect attendance. You might have never missed a day. But what ends up happening is that you are so focused on you that that's who you remain with. You remain with your ability to do these things. 
And Jesus is not asking you to do that. He wants you to remain with him. You see, the problem is that we can turn this into a story all about me instead of all about Jesus. And that misses the point of remaining or abiding in Jesus. There's a beautiful old hymn that we sing, still in our red hymnal, the new hymnal, um, called Abide With Me. And this is a powerful hymn because it speaks about the brokenness of our lives, the darkness of the days, of the chaos and the death. And in the midst of all of that, we are reminded that God abides with us. Jesus remains with you. The writer of this, of this hymn was an English minister uh, born in the late 1790s. And he wrote this hymn, and we believe in 1820, after visiting a dear friend who was dying. And as he wrote this hymn, this was the verse from the Emmaus story that captured him and made him sit down and write these words. By the time they were near Emmaus and the end of the journey, Jesus acted as, as if he was going on. But they begged him, remain with us this night. Abide with us this night. Since it is getting late. So Jesus remained with them. Jesus abided with them. Now listen to these lyrics from this hymn. Abide with me, O God, abide with me. Fast falls the even tide. The darkness deepens, Lord, with me abide. When other helpers fail and other comforts flee, help of the helpless, O abide with me. Swift to close ebbs out life's little day. Earth joys grow dim and its glories pass away. Change and decay in all around I see. O thou who changest not, abide with me. I fear no foe with thee at hand to bless. Ills have no weight and tears no bitterness. Where is death's sting? Where grave is thy victory? I triumph still if thou abide with me. Hold thou thy cross before my closing eyes. Shine through the gloom and point me to the skies. Heaven's morning breaks and earth's vain shadows flee. In life in death, O Lord, abide with me. To abide with Jesus means to be helpless. To abide with Jesus means to face bitterness, illness, even death. To abide with Jesus means to see our joys and our glories pass away. 
to abide with Jesus means to be in the presence of God when nothing else remains for us. You see, that is how we abide with Jesus. That is how we remain with Jesus, by allowing Jesus to abide with us. To remain with Jesus is to acknowledge that Jesus remains with you, abides in you. And that means we allow Jesus to prune away at our lives. When we get pruned, when we become cleansed, we ask ourselves the question, what is God trying to tell me? What is God speaking to me about my life? The Greek word for cleanse or prune is katairoi, which is the root word from the Greek which we get the English word catharsis. That moment when we are confronted with a transformational reality. And so the pruning moment is a cathartic moment. It gets our attention, it brings about that transformation. It all happens in one. Let's go back to the Emmaus story. Remember when their hearts burned within them? What was Jesus telling them? Not just about the resurrection, but about the disciples. It's a lesson about abiding and remaining and not wanting to let go of Jesus. They asked him to remain with them, and he did. Now, even though at times having Jesus in your life may cause heartburn, remember their hearts burned within them, even though you may experience some heartburn at times, it is a pruning that will bear more fruit. God never intends it to hurt you. God always intends it for your growth. And so we say, stay with us. Abide with us. Jesus, remain with us. Because it is almost evening. And the day is now nearly over. So he went and he stayed with them. He remained with them. And what happened to the two disciples after this phenomenal experience of Jesus being revealed to them? It said at that same hour they got up and they went to Jerusalem to tell the eleven and to tell the others. You see, they couldn't stop themselves. It was nighttime. They had spent the whole day walking from Jerusalem to Emmaus, visiting with Jesus, unbeknownst to them, until the dinner table about all that had happened. And when Jesus appeared to them, he disappeared from them. And the only thing they had left was that Jesus remained with them. Even though they couldn't see him, Jesus remained with him. They were filled with his love. They were filled with his joy. They were filled with his presence. Jesus remained with them. And so the transformation is that they could do the only thing that they could do as disciples. Not get a room and sleep for the night and then get up in the morning. No. In the middle of the night, 
they get up and they go back to Jerusalem in the dark of the night, in the most unsafe times to be on these roads, they go back to Jerusalem to share the good news with the 11 and with all the other followers that Jesus is alive and that he has appeared to them. Remain in Jesus. Jesus remains in you. Amen.